in 2 Samuel chapter 6. I want to begin reading in verse 14, and I want to set this up. This is King David. The Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant has been in the hands of the Philistines and under the rule of Saul, and Saul just kind of left it there. It was kind of abandoned. David had made one attempt to bring it back to Jerusalem, and uh, Uzzah died in that process, and so it had been stored, and David then looked into what God had to say about the treating of the Ark of the Covenant. And so we pick it up with this, that this portion of the story of them bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem uh, finally after all of these years and all of the circumstances that have surrounded it. 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 14. And then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the, ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpets. And now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And so they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone, to his house. And then David returned to bless his own household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of of the maids of his servants, as one of those base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And so David said to Michael, It was before the Lord, who chose me instead of your father and all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this. And will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you and I praise you for your word this morning. That God, that as we look to you and to your word, that God, that you are alive and your word is alive and you are speaking to us today. And that God, that we are able to know that right now, that God, that you are able to meet with us. You are able to challenge us. You are able to bring healing into our lives. Lord, I pray for these needs. God, we pray not only for our time together in your word, but God, I pray for... Lord, uh, for Gerald, I pray for Vicki, I pray for Susan. God, I pray, the Lord, right now, that, Lord, that you will just touch and heal. Lord, let there be healing power as the word of God goes forth, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Meet with us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 You may be seated today. Last week, I began by sharing with you some of the... Uh, favorite 
TV shows of my grandfather, my granddad Thrower. So this morning I have another TV show to introduce to you that I was introduced to, not by just Granddad Thrower, but by all of my grandparents. And I want to see if you can guess what this show is. Can you all hear it? What show is this? Name that tune in how many notes? People's Court. Anybody watch People's Court growing up? Well, for me, growing up, okay? Yes. What was so great about People's Court, and I got it hooked on it as a kid, you know, is you, I didn't want to just, you know, see them come present their cases. We lived for the moment when Judge Wapner would put them in their place because they got sassy or mouthy, right? And then you got to listen to Doug Llewellyn out in that foyer of the courtroom ask the loser of the case, so how do you feel right now? People's court. It was out of people's court that there dawned this whole new age of quote-unquote reality television. Today's generation would probably be more familiar, instead of Judge Wapner, they would be more familiar with Judge Judy, wouldn't they? And we recognize that the, the appeal of these shows is listening to a judge on the bench kind of give it back to whoever's standing before them with their cases. It's interesting when we watch those kinds of shows, we cheer on not the plaintiff or the defendant, but we cheer on the judge. And we in our own mind, before we get there, we're already guessing and declaring our own verdict, aren't we? We're declaring for the, for the plaintiff, or we're declaring for the defendant, and we're getting riled up maybe and cheering on and, and we're kind of, you know, we're, we're living it out vicariously as we watch that show. It's interesting when we talk about this idea of, uh, of a judgment in a courtroom, unfortunately this, this situation of judgment carries over into even real life. That we sometimes pretend that we are Judge Judy or Judge Wapner in the courtroom of the world around us in our own lives and we begin to play judge and jury with the people around us. And so this morning we conclude our series on the spirit of division with talking about the spirit of Michael. We began this series talking about uh, the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of Jezebel was a controlling spirit. Then we talked about the spirit of Absalom, which was a power-seeking spirit. Then last week we talked about Simon the sorcerer, and that was a prideful spirit. And this week we conclude with looking at the spirit of Michael, which was a critical or a judging spirit. And it is here that we begin to really understand what it is that the enemy, the weapons of his warfare that he wages and uses against us. That we recognize these spirits of division and on a day when the world talks about ghosts and goblins we understand that there is a very real element to dark spirits that come from the pit of hell. We understand that there is a very real element here that we must reject each and every one of these spirits and prevent them from getting a foothold within our life. And while we may look at and read the story and we may identify more with King David than we do with Michael, we 
we still have to open ourselves to the possibility of the root of what is dealing with here with Michael and recognize that in our own lives possibly. You see the background here. Let's give a little bit of context here of what leads us up to this clash, this confrontation between David and his wife. You see, we back up and, and we recognize that the story of David, where he really comes onto the forefront, is when Goliath, the Philistine giant, stands out on a battlefield and issues this challenge to all of Israel. He issues this challenge, and if we know the story of David and Goliath well, we know that no one would stand up. No one would rise up and fight the Philistine champion. And so, all of a sudden, Saul has to realize that either he, as the king, has to go face Goliath, or he's got to encourage or get someone else to step up to the plate. So he issues a reward. He declares that the man who will defeat Goliath will have my daughter's hand in marriage, and his him and his household will be tax-free for the rest of their lives. So, unknowing that, that reward is on the table. David arrives on the battlefield just bringing food to his brothers, is offended on behalf of the Lord with regards to uh, Goliath's challenge and his insults. And so David rises up, steps out on the battlefield, and kills Goliath with five stones in his pockets. David kills Goliath, and it is in this victory that Saul begins to resent David. David is such a celebrity and receives such fanfare that, uh, that Saul begins to resent David, but Saul has to fulfill the reward. I have to, he has to give his daughter's hand in marriage, specifically the daughter that he was supposed to give David, though. He really didn't want to give her to David, so he betrothed her to someone else. And then he finds this out in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 20. It says this, and now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him, Saul. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him, a trap to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. He finds out about Michael's affections for David. And what is incredibly evil about this plan is that he conspires to use his own daughter's emotions and affections against her. He doesn't set it up for her to be happy or for David to be happy, but he sets it up so that she can be a trap, a snare for David. It's all about fulfilling the jealous resentment and rage that he has towards David. And so as a result of this, he says, you're going to be my son-in-law, but this is what you need to do for me. You need to go and kill a hundred Philistines. One versus 100. Saul is counting on David's a mighty warrior, but I mean, he only had five stones against Goliath, so surely a hundred Philistines are going to kill David, and David will not return from this mission. So he's thinking, this is the trap I'm setting. 
he's going to want to marry Michael so badly that he's going to go into a suicide mission and he's going to be killed and I will be done with this threat to my throne. What does David do? Has a God-anointed moment. He kills a hundred Philistines but doesn't stop there. He ends up killing two hundred Philistines. Reports back to Saul. I, I just pause moment for a moment right here. What's going through David's mind? Listen, buddy, you promised if I just killed one man, I could have your daughter's hand in marriage. Now you're wanting to multiply that by a hundred? So I'm going to go kill 200 just to show you what God can do. And so. David returns. David is married to Michael. But remember what Saul's initial reaction and plan was with regard to his daughter. She will be a trap, a snare to him. So using the knowledge of where David and Michael are at, he sends some servants to go and to assassinate David. Michael being aware of the plan because of her father, she warns David, helps him escape, and he flees out into the wilderness. And that is the last moment that he sees Michael for ten years. Ten years. Ten years. He runs from Saul, he lives in the wilderness, he goes through that whole saga but eventually returns as king. And one of his first acts of king is what's happened to Michael. Well, your majesty, after you escaped and fled, Saul gave Michael away again in marriage to another man. And they're now living out of Jerusalem. Off and away. And so David says, bring Michael to me. Now in that time frame, we don't know a whole lot about this marriage uh, of Michael to, I think it's Pathiel, I think is his name. But we do know this, that he was so desperately in love with Michael that he doted on her. He was madly in love so that as Michael is even making the return visit to or return trip to Jerusalem, that he is following, he is heartbroken, he is full of sorrow, he is, he is devastated because of what is happening. Little did David know what was really taking place in this undercurrent, and little did he know what Saul's intention for Michael was to be. And what we have to understand is that while we are going through just the normal routine of life, whether we realize it or not, the enemy is out going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and he is setting traps for every single one of us. He is setting these stairs. He has identified them. He calls them out and sends them our direction, and he is waiting for us just to be walking through life to step our foot into this massive trap and before we realize it we're in pain and we're hurting and we're struggling and we cannot get away and we must be wary we must be vigilant as the word of God declares because why? because Satan is 
out to steal, kill, and to destroy us. He knows your weaknesses. He knows my weaknesses. And he is out trying to trap us in our most vulnerable and weakest moments. Just in the last 24 hours, I was on a phone call with someone who was burying their heart and their soul in tears, declaring the enemy. Satan knows every weakness, every vulnerability. And I have called the suicide hotline too many times to count this week. I have been cutting on myself because I don't want to live under this kind of attack anymore. And if we ever stop ourselves or fool ourselves into thinking that we are immune from the enemy's traps, then we will be just one step away from being in that trap that he is setting for us. We must be wary. We must be vigilant. And we cannot wait until we are in the snares of the enemy before we start getting our praise on, before we start reading our word, before we start getting in our prayer closet, oh, it takes the preparation of our hearts and our spirits to make sure that we are able to see and to discern the spirits of the enemy working against us at every moment and every season. Hallelujah. So Michael returns. There is this resentment in her. She viewed David as supplanting her father. Her father is now dead. And now David has disrupted that as far as we can tell, for her has been a privileged life. Taking away who has been her husband for these previous almost 10 years. But in that resentment of the circumstances of life, we see this despising and this resentment being manifested in our text this morning. That the root of what's going on here is that she despises David, the worshiper. And... In just a few minutes, she flashes, and she the spirit of Michael becomes manifested to display anger and jealousy and revenge and pride and unforgiveness. And all of this comes to pass, all because she looks at David coming before the Lord. Michael loved David as king, but she couldn't love him as David the worshiper. And in that moment, we've got to really assess even our own motivations, don't we? She loved David as king because that benefited her. That made her look good. That opened up doors of privilege. But David the worshiper didn't benefit Michael. It embarrassed her. Because it meant that he had to take off the kingly robe to do it. You see, she was eaten up with this carnal pride and she was embarrassed by the humility of, of, of David. But and, and Michael may have been the king's daughter, but she lacked the heart. She lacked the character. She lacked the essence of what true royalty was really intended and supposed to be about. And she seems to have made no effort to really understand 
David's desires and God's desires and his anointing upon them. And so when David returns to bless his own household, he's coming with joy. He's coming with encouragement. He's coming with an anointing. And here the spirit of Michael does what it was so intended to do. Herein lies this spirit of Michael and the true essence and the heartbeat of what the motivation really is. That it's not uh, this motive of being critical and judgmental. The desire and the motivation is to cut David down. And in our own lives, when we are guilty of being critical and judgmental towards others, we are submitting or surrendering and allowing this spirit to cut other people down and to erase or to erode their work. got to be careful that we don't make the same mistake that Michael does. We've got to be careful not to make assumptions because that's what, you know, there's some accusations here that Michael hurls at David. Accusations that when you look at it, it may be confusing to us all these years later, but in that moment they were lies. She accuses David of basically having a striptease moment out in the streets of Jerusalem. That's what she's accusing him of. You have borne out yourself, and you are causing all of these maids and 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 the children of your maids and their servants to lust after you. That's That's what we're talking about here. She's accusing him of basically, you know, of putting out that kind of of a lustful, sexual kind of dance in the streets of Jerusalem. And that's not what David did. David's not even naked. What he has done is he has taken off the royal robe and he has put on the priestly robe that is representative of being a servant of the Most High God. spirit that she employs. He might as well have been naked. Because he took off the only identity that she values. The king's robe. And sometimes we have to be careful not to make assumptions, not to pass judgment, not to jump to harsh conclusions about others. We've got to recognize that we are unable to accurately weigh out what other people are dealing with and going through. I love that we see David in the middle of this accusation. He does not stoop to responding to the criticisms of his wife, but rather he simply just says, I am worshiping the Lord, and oh, I will even be more undignified than this. And so if you can't handle this, Michael, then hang on, hook to your socks, because we're going forward, and I'm going to be even more undignified than this. And it is here that we begin to realize that as we go through this spirit of Michael, maybe, just maybe, We are our own 
all of us in this room, I hope we would. That we would recognize that it is ungodly to be judgmental of others. Everyone in the room, we've been around scripture, we understand the heartbeat of Christ, that that is not our role and place to be judging and casting and cutting down other people. But just maybe, maybe at times, we have these inner voices that are our biggest hurdle that we have to come to this place that we can learn to get past ourselves. How do we get over our self, our self-hatred, our self-doubt, our self-pity, our self-centeredness before we are able to gain a self-confidence and grow in God? You see, God wants us to run this race of faith. He wants us to run this race. And what we have to understand is that when we come to him this morning, that while we read about the spirit of Michael and we hear and, and receive this idea that we are to be able to treat others the way Michael treats David, oh, just maybe this morning for just a moment, we need to stop treating ourselves and casting that same judgment upon ourselves with our own thoughts and our own being because we understand that God is training us, that we've got to run this race, and that means that we've got to listen to the voice of God more than we're listening to the voice of the enemy. And sometimes the trap and the snare that the enemy sets for us is not just about condemning others, but it's about condemning ourselves. But Jesus Christ did not come to condemn us, but he came rather to save us. So that we can come this morning and declare there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so if we're struggling this morning, maybe we're beating ourselves up over past mistakes and failures and we're struggling in this area of self-condemnation, let me just challenge us this morning. Let me encourage us this morning that when we get in the face of the Father and we draw close to Him and His love covers, oh, we can come this morning and we can celebrate. A love covers a multitude of sin. That there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That He has created us to be oh, the head and not the tail. That He has created us to soar and not to peck around on the ground like chickens. Oh, but He has called us to be part of the tribe of Judah. Oh, and he is our leader. He is our lion. He is our Passover lamb. And he is the light that leads us in the middle of the darkness. And when the enemy comes against us, it is not us that we need to turn to. It is not one another that we have to turn to. But it is Jesus Christ and him alone. Because it is there that is our safe place. It is there that is our one that builds us up.
speaking of students through the power of the Spirit can encourage them in the edification of this body. Lord, give you that interpretation. You are, you are free to share that with this body. I tell you today, says the Lord, that your worth and value is not in the eyes of man. That who you are is not defined by labels. It is not defined by what people may call you or don't call you. Who you are is defined by me, says the Lord. Who you are and your value and your worth is in me, declares the Lord. For I am the creator of the universe, says the Lord. For I am the savior of the world, says the Lord. And I live in you as my people. And so your value and your worth is not rested or rooted in your talents or in your abilities. But it is rooted in my abilities and in my strength, says the Lord. And so look to me and look to me alone. Depend on me today, says the Lord. And I will lead you and build you up and find your confidence in the name of Jesus Christ alone. Lord, right now we receive and hear your word and your call. And that God, right now, we look to you and to you alone. And we thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In looking David had done a lot of great things. But in this moment, all of those things get thrown out. David had brought back a, a unification of the kingdom and full possession of the land. and He had restored a morality to the people. And there had been a prosperity among the nation of Israel. And spiritual life and, and, and spiritual truth was at an all-time high under the king and under the the kingship and the rule of David. But even with all of those great things, there were always critics. David, by no means, and, and let us just pause for a moment. David is not perfect. We cannot make David part of the Trinity or the Triune Godhead because that is not who David is. We, we recognize his anointing and how God used him. But David had faults. I mean, some of them very glaring. David had faults. But we all have faults. And God still used David. And God still wants to use us. And we can choose to be a critic. Or we can choose to be an encourager. 
can choose to tear down, or we can choose to build up. And my prayer is that we will be able to, to do that and to be able to look to and think about, and whether it's ourselves, whether it's others, that we can focus on those good and perfect things. Yes. Philippians 4, 8 uh, tells us what? Finally, brethren, think upon and think about these things. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is loyal, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about those things. So if we want to combat the spirit of Michael in our life and we feel that critical judging uh, coming upon us, it is here that we find ourselves that we've got to, as I've been, we've been studying our life, win the battlefield of our mind by choosing Christ and choosing to think about him and those good things that God has done within us and through us. I want to see in everybody, including myself, Instead, too many times, we get distracted by looking at things as the enemy, as Satan sees them. Because what is he quick to do? He's quick to see all of our faults. He's quick to see all of our shortcomings. But instead, we need to listen to the voice of the Lord. And so we see the spirit of Michael. She was a critic. She also felt very superior to everyone else. She felt like she was better than those maid's servants that she referred to as dead. That's why she's embarrassed. Because her husband just embarrassed her by his behavior. She viewed herself as being superior to everyone else. She even accuses David of gallivanting around with these commoners. As if somehow there are people in this world that are lower life forms. That's what the spirit of Michael looks like. And we understand that that kind of attitude, that kind of pride, that kind of of of, of, of approach or mindset totally neglects and forgets what the Lord just spoke to us a moment ago. That who we are, if we're down, guess what? Christ can build us up. But if we consider ourselves a little too high and mighty, pride goes before the fall. Because the last shall be first. And, that, and that, that idea, the assertion, the understanding that who we are is, and our identity is rooted in Christ and who he is. It means that when we come together and we celebrate in worship and we're bragging about what God is doing in our life, we're not celebrating us, but we celebrate 
how we have been gifted and we have received so much from God. If we were to go around the room, I guarantee you that every single one of us would be able to testify of good things that God has done and poured out into our lives. And that we could testify of those good things. And if we will be able to reflect and understand that God is the author and the source of those good things, then we will realize that it's not about us, but it's about him. And we don't have reason to be prideful or to look down upon others because who we are and what we have is not rooted in what we have done, but it is always going to be rooted in what God has done and who he is in our lives. And thirdly, Michael was guilty of looking around instead of looking up. She was more worried at what the people were thinking than what God was thinking. When we keep our eyes upon others instead of God, it is then that we lose track. It is there that we lose our Way. It is there that we find ourselves getting away from what God has for us. We've got to be able to look up, look to the Lord, and say, God, you are the one that I want to please. You are the one that I'm desiring to pursue. It's great that we have a desire to celebrate family members and our spouses and we should do that. But we don't need to be so beholden to pleasing people that we lose sight of pleasing the Lord. Amen. We've got to look to Him and to Him alone. As I begin to close this morning, there was a practicing lawyer who loved to attack and judge and criticize his opponent. It got to such a point, this was in 18, the mid-1800s, early 1800s, that he would not only attack them in the courtroom, but he would attack them by writing letters and having them published in the newspaper. One particular man that this lawyer ridiculed, his name was James Shields. James Shields did not take kindly to the writer of this letter who judged him and criticized him in the newspaper. So Mr. Shields tracked down this attorney who had publicly embarrassed him. And Mr. Shields challenged this young lawyer to a duel. Now, the attorney was anything but a fighter. But because of the idea of manhood and honor of the day, he wasn't about to say no to the challenge to the duel. And so there was no way to get out of it. 
And so he accepted the challenge. And so he trained. He actually, uh, you know, he, he went to this, uh, he went, got together with a friend who had been in the army, and he was trained on, on accuracy and aim and firing and so that he could win this battle. And on the appointed day, the attorney met Mr. Shields on a sandbar in the Mississippi River off the coast of Missouri. And at the last minute, their friends all came to the rescue. They intervened, and they convinced Mr. Shields and the attorney to stop what they were doing. The lawyer breathed a sigh of relief and returned to his practice he also returned to his practice as a changed man. And from that day forward, he never published another critical letter, never publicly blasted any of his opponents in a personal manner. And so he never openly criticized anyone. Years later, he happened to hear his wife openly criticize, after the Civil War, the people of the South. And this attorney, Mr. Abraham Lincoln, told his wife, don't criticize them. They are just what they would be if we were under the same circumstances. Lincoln had a critical spirit. Through an encounter, he was changed. I believe that God probably played a role in that. And I know for you and I, God always plays a role. As the musicians come this morning... you to ask yourself what the Lord is saying to you through this message. Where do you fit? What role do you play? Maybe you feel like David. You feel misunderstood because of your faith in God or maybe you feel like you're being looked down upon for your worship. Maybe you identify to some degree with Michael. And you recognize that there are times that you look down on others, that you are critical or judgmental, or maybe there's been moments where you have been that way. And this morning becomes time for you to ask the Lord for forgiveness. The Lord loves you. And the Lord wants to help each and every one of us. Maybe today we are here and we are, as Christians, maybe we feel like God is stretching us. And that God is stretching us to move beyond ourselves and to become more dependent upon Him. Maybe this morning we feel like God is 
calling us to find our worth and our value in him and in him alone. And to not listen to the voice of the enemy that comes against us. But whatever it is this morning, let us leave change. Without ever having to go to a sandbar in the middle of the Mississippi River. find ourselves being changed at the hand of God. If you will, stand with me this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you would say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this condemnation. I am living, feeling condemned by the enemy, by others, and this morning I am ready to be set free from that being feel that feeling of condemnation. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Would you say this morning, Pastor, I need help finding my identity and my who I am in Christ not in the labels that other people tell me. Betsy, would you slip up your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you have a special need that you know God is able to touch and move and meet, and you just want to turn it over to Him, if that's you, would you just slip up your hand this morning? Thank you. morning, as I pray, these altars are open, and I invite you to come. If David was willing to be even more undignified than that, then how much are we willing to step out, making a stand, declaring simply nothing more than I need God? That's Jesus, I pray. Will you come? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I praise you. Oh, that God, that we are able to come before you. That God, that in these moments, that God, we can come and find a surrendering to you. Lord, you see those that are struggling and with labels and identity and, and self-confidence, God. And I pray that right now that you will just sweep in and that you will build them up. God, I pray, Lord, for those that, God, that are, uh, Lord, that are struggling with condemnation, God, from themselves or from others, that, God, that you will, oh, Lord, just wrap around them, God, and, and, Lord, remind them this morning that their identity and their confidence is in you. Lord, each and every need. God, I pray for those moments.